Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. All right, Dr. Nate Regeer, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Happy to have you on today. Matt, it's good to be here. Good to see you again. It's been a while. We've we've known each other, I don't know, 10, 15 years, something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, just the other day, I was driving by one of the uh, original places where uh-huh. we met and one of the places that you helped start. And it was just yeah. kind of some great memories thinking yeah. about some of the difference y'all were making back then. We were just kids. We were just yep. kids back then, right? I know. <laughs> So you've got an interesting line of work and have an interesting background. I did call you Dr. Nate Regeer at the beginning of the show because you do have a doctor. What's your doctorate in? Clinical psychology. Clinical psychology. And you have a consulting company now and you do a lot of stuff in the, I would call the the psychology space, a lot around leadership, a lot around Mm -hmm. organizational leadership, individual leadership obviously falls into that category as well. You've got several books out. You know, you mentioned this term pre-show, compassionate accountability that we're going to get into. But really, what made you want to be? I always like the backstory. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I always like the backstory. I love the backstory. Every, you know, every everybody has a story to tell, and 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 usually it's a very interesting story. So, what in the world made you want to go into the field of psychology? Why why would anyone do that? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> And and yeah. I am in recovery. I should say that. So you know, Aren't we all was, constantly. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't my original plan. My original plan was to be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and I started with a declared business major in college. And I took econ one, and I was like, "What is this? I, I'm not used to thinking this way." I took econ two, and I got a B. And I'm, I wasn't used to getting bad grades. And when I went to pick up the textbook for econ three. This was in the, oh, late 80s. Mm-hmm. And the book was huge, like three inches thick. And attached to it, shrink-wrapped, was a, was a floppy disk, a five and a quarter <laughs> floppy right, disk. Right. And the, the bookstore lady said, oh, yeah, this disk, I guess these things can hold as much information as like 100 books. And I was like, that's it. That's it. Is that and you tapped out? <laughs> I tapped out. I lost all my confidence. And I went and changed my major to psychology and figured, wow. you know, Maybe this whole idea of wanting to influence people and make it big, maybe it was more about influencing people to make a difference in the world. And uh, that's where I changed the psychology. I think it was meant to be all along, but that was kind of a big moment for me. <laughs> and so you, you got into psychology um, and then you actually worked in like uh, addiction clinics and some stuff like that. Didn't, isn't that part of your background? I did. After my doctorate work, I started work uh, as a clinical psychologist. I did mm-hmm. everything from inpatient addictions treatment groups to neuropsychological testing to older adult and aging type mm-hmm. of services. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really lucky to work for a large multi-specialty behavioral health clinic where I got to try a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. Once I started getting involved in their adventure ropes course and getting involved in more consultation liaison work and medical mm-hmm. settings, getting into the mind, body, spirit stuff, I was hooked. I like loved kind of the, the consulting liaison kind of in the moment mm-hmm. work with people. And then so, and now you are an entrepreneur because you started your own consulting firm. And so you, 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 and I know it's much more than just a consulting firm, but so you're all, so in a, you, you backed into it, it looked mm-hmm. like, but you, but, 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 yeah, but yeah. you, but you got there, but what do you spend? 
you know, and I've been trained in some of your stuff back in the day again, but what do you spend most of your time now working? What type of organizations, what type of systems are you working with? We're working with medium to large organizations that are kind of on this cusp of realizing that culture matters because Mm -hmm. it drives everything. And Mm -hmm. that what, what drives great cultures is great cultures of leadership. Mm -hmm. And people are struggling because of the challenge to attract, retain, and develop great people. It's hard. Mm-hmm. The, the, the labor market is really tough and having really good talent is tough. So people are, we work with companies who are starting to get it, that culture matters, leadership matters if you want to tackle these big things and if you want to crack this nut. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's really a great place for us to get involved because they're willing, they're, they're open, they're curious, maybe don't know what they don't know yet, but they do want to make a difference. And so that's where we can really, I guess well, that's kind of our sweet spot. And you have a specific model and feel free to jump in with, you know, the stuff you've written, but then yeah. the model of the PCM, right? Process communication. The process communication model is model. one of our tools. Right. We are a distributor in the United States for that. So we serve, mm-hmm. we train and certify and serve clients and trainers mm-hmm. around the United States uh, with that model. That's one of several that we use. Mm-hmm. And is that which predominantly, which I guess, model are you using now? Because that's the one I was familiar with because yeah, that's yeah. what you were using then. Process uh, communication model is, is really important part of our stable, of our toolkit. Mm-hmm. We have developed several proprietary models since mm-hmm. then. And one of mm-hmm. them is called Leading Out of Drama, which mm-hmm. is really about how do you turn the energy of conflict into positive, productive results. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote two books about that. And then the other is called The Compassion Mindset. And that's really about how do you, what is the framework, the mindset, the skill set, the strategies for infusing cultures with more compassion? And so we've really pioneered a, a more evolved definition and understanding of how compassion works in business cultures. And we have several models and assessment uh, suites that support that. Hmm, okay. And I know a lot of the work is around drama, leading out of drama, obviously, mm-hmm. is in the title here. I've studied and, and trained some mm-hmm. stuff in the drama space, yeah. um, like how to diffuse and, and kind of what are the uh, we had David Enroll come on here, uh, came on what he was actually our first podcast guest when I took over with the empowerment dynamic. Typically, what causes drama? I mean, because we all see it, even if we're not engaged in it daily, you know, for a lot of people, that is, you know, where they live. But what causes, yeah. what's what's at the core of drama when we look at drama? Yeah, David Emerald's work is great. And the drama triangle, there's there's hundreds, if not thousands uh-huh. of manifestations of that basic, right. elegant model for how, mm-hmm. how to understand dynamics. You know, what causes drama? Maybe we should first identify what is drama. All um, right, let's start there. Our, our working definition of drama is it's the misuse of conflict energy mm-hmm. to feel justified about our negative behaviors by struggling against each other. So Misuse of conflict energy presumes that there's differences and disagreements. It's going to be natural that in the world of diversity, we're going to have conflict, and that produces a lot of energy. The real Mm. question is, what do we do with that energy? And drama is when we misuse it. Well, Mm. how do we misuse it? Well, because we take that energy and we assume and set up win-lose scenarios, adversarial interactions. Mm. And so once we set up an adversarial interaction, why, why do we do this? Well, because the only modus operandi of drama is to feel justified. Mm. That is the Mm -hmm. only goal. It is the end goal. The sole purpose of drama is to feel justified, which means being able to say, see, I was right about whatever. 
doesn't matter what it is. I win, you lose. And it could be, I'm right about being a loser. Like, see, I always lose. See, oh, nobody gotcha. likes me. I never get picked for the team. So drama is this really crazy self-fulfilling prophecy that plays to the dark side of what, it, what we are as humans, which gets to what causes it. I think the root of all drama is the human need to be justified. Hmm. We want to be justified, meaning in a way you could say we like to play God with ourselves and each other, meaning mm -hmm. I'm going to be the one to rule over who's right and who's wrong and under what conditions. We like mm -hmm. to call the shots. And so that's what causes drama is just mm -hmm. kind of our basic nature. But when we get deeper, you know, in the PCM model, you can see how all different personality types try to play this game mm -hmm. when they're in distress. They try to set up scenarios where they can say, see, I was right. And, and you're wrong. <laughs> right. So we also have personality tendencies that how we play that game of drama. Um, and so those are just some of the causes of it. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's part of the human condition. I think it's something mm -hmm. that we are always trying to lean away from. If we're trying to become better people, uh, you know, more evolved human beings, we're trying to find ways to combat that. And since this is totally your background and your space, why is drama more prevalent in some than others? Like when I look at my Facebook feed, I'll just give an example, right? right? So when I look yeah. at my Facebook feed, for the most part, I kind of prune out people that seem to do nothing but talk right, negativity, right, right, right. right? At some point. But then I still have a few on there that I leave on there for entertainment value. <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Because yeah. they're not dramatic all the time, but once in a while they just lose their shit. If that's yeah. a clinical term, and it's kind of a show, right? <laughs> right, right. And I'm just like, I don't engage in it, I, but I do witness it, and I'm, I'm just like, for the most part, I can say, you know, there by the grace of God, go I or. Yeah, I've been there. I just didn't post yeah. that, right? Yeah. I, mean, so, I felt so I, it. I was thinking yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I felt it. Right thinking it. Yeah. So, but why does it seem to be that some people have a tendency? What, what do you think is happening there where some people have a tendency to just yeah. drama is their, is their life? Like, they, like yeah, everything yeah, yeah. is drama versus like, uh, you know, a Mother Teresa or, a, sure. you know, a, not that she didn't have drama. She did. But I mean, based yeah. on stuff I've read, but. But, you know, people that are, have less drama, right? You see other people on your feet yeah. or you just know other people and they just they just don't have a lot of drama in their lives. I think so there's what, a couple of reasons. Okay. One, drama is sexy. Drama is seductive. It's <laughs> fabulous entertainment. So right. we like to say that drama is great for the stage, but bad for the boardroom. Or right. we like to say drama, good for ratings, bad for business, right? It, right. it is it taps into kind of that human nature. We love to hate certain people. We love to love other people. It makes for a good plot line. Mm -hmm. So it's sexy, it's seductive. It's easy to get hooked in and wrapped up. I think another reason though, why people become drama queens or kings or whatever mm -hmm. is it gets results. It gets attention. Mm -hmm. You get a ton of attention in drama. It may not be what you need, but it's what's coming to you. Right. And so I think it gets a lot of attention and it can be kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy there's something really satisfying about being justified. Even mm -hmm. if I'm always on the bottom of the pile to be able to say, see, that's how I knew it was going to turn out. See, I predicted it. And then I think the third reason, this is where we get into it with leaders is I don't, I'm not aware or skilled in a different way of getting what I need. Mm -hmm. And so I just go about it that way. It requires skill development, self-awareness, being able to count to 10 before you hit send to be able to say, look, there's a lot of energy here, but I could choose to use it a different way. Mm -hmm. and, and when I see, yes, totally, 110%. And when I see it and I kind of feel into it, because it's, you know, I see the different people on there that specifically use it to get attention. And I think 
and just in the in the social media, I'm still kind of in that social media space. To me, it seems like they're lonely. To me, it seems like that if I'm lonely, I can, if I'm feeling disconnected from the world, if I'm feeling lonely or afraid, I can go out and I can post something on social media. And, and the more dramatic it is, the more controversial it is, the more people are going to notice me. So maybe I don't feel alone for that day, or I don't feel alone. So I, for me, that's what I, what I sense. I don't know if that's right or wrong. That's just my sense of it. No, I like that. I, that. That could take us somewhere here. You know, it's maybe I got a lot of likes today on that post, or maybe right. a lot of people engaged and shared it. So I feel popular today. Right. And that's a, that's a real issue with, with younger folks, you know, kind mm-hmm. of this addiction to the social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but your comment about alone, I think is important. And this is where compassion comes in. Mm-hmm. Compassion is the antidote to drama. Mm-hmm. It, it is the medicine because calm, drama always ends you up alone at the end of the day. You Mm. always are alone because drama is adversarial. There's always going to be a winner and a loser and either way you're alone. And so think about how we struggle. We all struggle. Life is struggle and we Mm -hmm. can choose how we want to struggle. You can struggle against each other in a win-lose situation. You could struggle alone, which means just don't tell anybody and just suck it up and be lonely Mm. and spiral by yourself. We see too many you know, we see how that ends, or you could struggle instead of, which means go try to do it, fight everybody's battles for them. Mm-hmm. And you end up alone because people don't like that. They don't like you to come in and rescue them, mm-hmm. but there's another kind of struggle. And it's a struggle that I think as humans were called to perform and that's struggling with, mm-hmm. and that's a point, that's a, that's a process of reconnection. That's a process of saying, look, I'm suffering, you're suffering. Let's do this together. And let's use our differences and disagreements and that energy of our conflict to create more intimacy, more innovation, more connection, more trust. And so look at the word calm, passion. Mm-hmm. Calm means with, passion means suffer. Mm. So compassion is not just kindness, empathy, altruism. I'm going to go, you know, rescue that dog on TV because I feel so horrible seeing it suffer. That's important. We got to do that. But real compassion is a call to get in the trenches with people. Let's get in this work together. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really about, we're not going to get rid of the struggle, but we could change how we struggle from drama to compassion, which means let's struggle with each other. And that's a whole new skill set and paradigm shift for leaders. How are you defining compassion? Then you're defining yeah, this yeah. struggle with, but what does that actually mean? What, yeah, like, yeah. Tactically. Tactically, we have to have working definitions, just like we did with drama. So mm-hmm. our definition of compassion is it's the process, it, sorry, compassion is the practice of demonstrating that people are valuable, capable, and responsible in every interaction three important parts here. Mm -hmm. I'll break it down. So it's the practice of demonstrating. It has to be visible. It has to be evident through our behaviors and we practice it. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a skill and a habit we can learn just like drama. We learned how to do that. So it's a practice of demonstrating. People have to be able to see it, feel it, hear it. What are we demonstrating? Well, three fundamental truths about humans. We're valuable. We are unconditionally valuable. We are capable. We're agentic beings who can make decisions and solve problems. We're also responsible. The fact that we live in community and ultimately need each other to survive means we are accountable to each other for our behaviors. Mm -hmm. All three of those. So what are we demonstrating? That you and I are valuable, capable, and responsible. Not one, not two, but all three. Mm -hmm. When do we do this? Every interaction, every single time. 
we interact with another human being. We can activate this mindset and demonstrate through our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that we're valuable, we're capable, and we're responsible. That's what I call struggling with. Okay. And give me a real life. So I won't say, I won't say dumb it down, but Uh, but give us a real life example from your own life or from you know life of a client or whatever of what that looked like like yeah. what was what was the situation but then what do, what does that look like to show that someone's valuable capable and responsible or, or to reflect that to them or how are you frame that so yeah, yeah can i tell a personal story about that I, I think that would be yeah. great <laughs> that would be Here's, great cuz that cuz that, yeah. that 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 connects more right that and then i can give you to understand Right. I'll tell a personal story when it really hit home for me and came crashing down. And then we can talk about it professionally. So Mm -hmm. during COVID about six Mm -hmm. months, four months in to the lockdown, Mm -hmm. I'm still going to the office. Nobody else is going to the office, (laughs) but I need my routine. I need my structure, you know, my personality. And I would go by myself to our office Mm -hmm. and I would turn on the lights. I would get the heat going just in the one place or the air conditioning. I would make a half a pot of coffee because that's all I needed. (laughs) And I would just try to pretend that everything was under control. Right. And meanwhile, everything's out of control and I can't control anything. Mm-hmm. One particularly difficult day where I felt like I, I was failing as a leader. I hadn't solved any problems. I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, we all did, right? Mm-hmm. But I put a lot of pressure on myself to have it all figured out for my team. And I came home and I was, I was really stressed out. But I began fantasizing about, oh man, if I could just cook a meal, drink a glass of wine or my favorite IPA, the world's going to be fine. And I have perfect control over that. And I'm going to be in heaven for just a second. <laughs> so I was already visualizing this beautifully clean kitchen, sharpened knives, my bottle of wine, and I'm going to make a beautiful dinner for my family in my own little world. Mm, right. I walk in the door, I open the door, I look through the foyer and the kitchen is a mess. <laughs> my daughter, my youngest daughter still lives at home with us. And this is relevant because without even thinking, I just yelled into the house to no one in particular, (laughs) but one person in particular, why is the kitchen such a mess? Mm -hmm. So in this moment, um, well, I'll come back later about how I had my switches off, all all three Mm -hmm. of my switches. I'm like, why is the kitchen such a mess? And from my daughter's bedroom, I heard, not my fault. You know, I only have to do it once a day and you don't get to tell me when. And I was like, oh, here we go. Put up your dukes, right? And in that moment, I realized, hang on a second. Where were your switches just now? Valuable, capable. Did you see yourself and your daughter as valuable in that moment? It's like, no, I didn't even value myself enough to own my feelings, to Mm. share my feelings, to acknowledge the pain, the anxiety, the the lack of control I was feeling. I just Mm. lashed out. So I didn't even value myself enough. What about responsibility? What about capability? I was like, wait, my daughter and I are, are grown people. We are capable of solving this problem. I am not, I, I mean, I act like my life's coming to an end because it's <laughs> dirty. Like, wait, right. we can problem solve this. And then what about responsibility? Because the fundamental be- belief of that switch is no matter what happened before, we are all 100% responsible for what we do next. And I tried to make her responsible for my inability to control COVID. Mm. Literally. Mm. Why is the kitchen such a mess? You're supposed to have everything ready for me so I can have this perfect place. I also was irresponsible with behaviors because we had an agreement that she has to clean the kitchen once a day, but she can choose when it happens. She hadn't done it yet. That's not her fault. 
Right. It's so, not over. <laughs> it's not over. So my switches were off. There's no compassion. We're not struggling together. I was setting up a power struggle mm -hmm. where basically I could have said, look, get in there and clean the kitchen because your dad needs to make dinner and I've had a rough day and you need to whatever. But then I asked myself, if my switches are on, what would I do next? And that was the moment of clarity. Because in our foyer is a mirror. Mm -hmm. I was looking right at it. Oh, right. Yeah. Acting like a piece of shit, right? Right, right. And I was like, well, if my switches are on, what would I do? And I said, well, first of all, I would go apologize to my daughter because she doesn't deserve to bear the brunt of my failure to live up to my unrealistic expectations of controlling the world. Right. But I also need to, to disclose to her how I'm doing. There's no harm. There's no shame in telling her I had a bad day. I'm struggling, mm -hmm. but also if my switches are on, I would go talk to her and see if we can't problem solve this thing. Let's struggle together towards a solution. Mm -hmm. So I went into her room and I said, I feel really badly about how I treated you just now. You're not responsible for my anxiety. I had a bad day because I wanted to control everything and I couldn't, and that's not your problem. And I said, having said that, what I didn't tell you is how much I love cooking in a clean kitchen. And that gives me this sense of peace. And I said, I'm just curious. I'm gonna go take a walk and calm down. But I'm curious, would you be willing to move up your kitchen cleaning to help me out? And she's like, oh my gosh, dad, totally. Mm -hmm. See ya. I went for a walk. 20 minutes later, the kitchen is clean and I'm cooking. Mm -hmm. It right. was like, that's what happens when you turn your switches on and treat people as valuable, capable, and responsible at the same time. Mm -hmm. I failed badly, but you can always turn your switches back on and make mm -hmm. the next move. And, and what I heard in that story was, you know, vulnerability and authenticity and transparency. And, and I think that's also what causes a lot of drama is that people don't want to be authentic. They don't want to be transparent. They don't want to be vulnerable because maybe that at a certain point in their life, that wasn't um, honored or that wasn't right. respected or right. that was that didn't that wasn't allowed in their environment. Right. And then when you grow up to uh, to be adults, we kind of carry some of these bad habits with us, right? That, yeah. you know, I, I, I was at a workshop here a week ago or a little over a week ago, a week long uh, workshop, and there was just lots of processing going on and stuff. And I've just learned in those spaces that I'm there to get value. So I'm going to be transparent and I'm going to be vulnerable because I didn't come here to waste my time. I mean, it's kind of an efficiency thing for me. Yeah. And, and so many people were like, during the workshop, they were like, thank you for sharing that. I felt the same way. I just didn't want to say anything. And I was just like, for me, I'm like, I was just, I was being selfish. I was just making sure I didn't say that, but it was like, yeah, I don't have the want to, if I want to be a better human being, if I want to be a better dad, if I want to be a better husband, I, I, I came here to do work. Now I'm not saying I do that every day, all day right, in my right. life, but it was a workshop environment. I'm like, I'm, I'm here to, to work. This isn't a vacation for me. Well, and yeah, so, absolutely. And, and it allowed, I also find by being vulnerable, especially as a male, but in, in general, as a when I'm vulnerable, it allows others then to do that, right? Step into that space and go, if he's the leader and, or, or, or he's in a leadership role, or they see me even in that way, and he's open, willing to open up, then it, then I can open up yep. too. So it creates this almost like this healing environment or this more healthy environment. Maybe you would say it's a more compassionate environment. Using I would your, say so. And you're easy. describing, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. No, no, go for it. Well, your, your story there is describing the essence of the value switch. When we turn the switch on, we are affirming that we're unconditionally valuable. And what that mm -hmm. means 
is that my value as a human being is not dependent on how you respond to what I say or do. Mm, right. I may choose to disclose something that I'm scared to death about mm-hmm. what you're going to say. Are you going to judge me? Maybe you're not going to be able to relate and I'm going to feel alone. All that stuff could happen, but it doesn't change my value as a human being. Mm-hmm. I get vulnerable because I'm worth it. Not because you're going to do something magical with it. Not because right. I trust you, but because right. I'm doing it for me. Right. And it also, like you said, then doing that establish role models, the protection and the permissions that are mm-hmm. necessary for others to do the same. And how many of us are struggling alone by carrying these things? And we, mm-hmm. we just don't tell anybody because of all these inhibitions, but everybody is. Right. And it's so freeing when you find out it's like, oh my gosh, you too. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's why executive leaders have coaches or why they have think mm-hmm. t- where they get together with people right. you know, vistage in other places where they, it's right. the one safe place they can scare. I'm say I'm scared gentless. Right. <laughs> and I'm the CEO. And, and, yeah. And, and, de- oh, definitely. And, and I've been a part of one of those groups for a long, long time and actually just uh, graduated out um, voluntarily, but the, uh, um, but the, It'd be interesting to see if there's ways to do more of that, right? Provide those. Cause I don't think, you know, when I look around outside of maybe a church small group or something, and even there, there's some, I, I've heard that there's, I've not been in one, but in, even in a church small group, I heard you get into some judgment stuff because a lot of times the church small group dynamic, you know, it's kind of a judgmental place sometimes, right? You know, it's, I've heard people like go to AA sometimes, even though they don't need to go to AA just because it's real and it's authentic and they can actually talk and share from a vulnerable space. It's like, we, I think we need more of that in the world. We need more spaces that are open format with, and I will also say with some type of structure so that people know how to communicate. Cause that's the other thing is like, um, knowing how to communicate so that you're not offending everyone else in the room, right? From Because oftentimes, like in the workshop I was in, you know, <laughs> it was so funny. The facilitator was very, very experienced, young guy, but very experienced. And so people would start saying you. He was, they would say, well, you know, in the world, people are like this and you know, and he would be like, who, me? Because when like, who are you talking about? Are you talking to me when you say you? Yeah, did yeah. You mean, did you mean? And so he just, yeah. it was so, it was like a pattern interrupt, but it was yeah. so, so, he did it in such a, a, a non-offensive way that people would be like, oh no, I mean, I, right. And he go, oh, okay. I thought, I, so not me. Yeah. <laughs> but, and those but, words are powerful. When yeah, they are. I, instead of you, it gets yeah. personal. It gets real. Yeah. yeah. And I, instead of a lot of times we, people hide behind we, they hide behind you. I, you know, I, I should now I'll correct myself. I hide behind we, I hide behind you. Right. Hey, um, we need to clean up the kitchen. Right, here. right. 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 I'm really meaning you, yeah. <laughs> but, but but so, so yeah, definitely. So I think it's super healthy and I don't know if you help do that inside of companies or not, or in other organizations, but I think it's super healthy to be able to have that smaller group of people. I don't know whether it's eight or 10 people or less that can just have those conversations and have a framework in which they can communicate. So everybody understands kind of the rules of the, of, of the, how to communicate, right? It's like, okay, we're all going to speak German or all, we're all going to speak for, I mean, there's kind of a common language you can use. So it's not yeah. So you're not stepping on too many toes, if that makes Absolutely sense. right. And we need the words. We need the ways to do it. And right. so one of my books, Conflict Without Casualties, provides a template for how to mm. do this. Mm-hmm. How do we set up? What are the ways to have these conversations? And I'm not, you know, I'm sorry, but when someone drops radical candor, I want to run. It's like, what? You're just going to tell it like it is and don't care how it comes across? Like, do you care right. about my feelings? Or do you think <laughs> the truth is the only thing that matters? 
And then in, in my most recent book, Compassion Accountability, we actually lay out a whole framework for how do you set rules of engagement? what we call behavior norms for being able to do this in a safe place. Right. When, when, when we work with, with organizations and they actually start that first time they start to get vulnerable, but actually have what we call compassionate conflict with another person, Mm -hmm. what they, what they experience for the first time is conflict has the potential to bring us closer. Mm. It's scary as heck, Mm -hmm. but when you do it right, the result is so rewarding and so enriching. Um, and so, and another thing I might just drop is that, is that there's a lot of barriers though, to compassion. People have a lot of misconceptions, misunderstandings, stereotypes, maybe previous experiences. And so we need to meet people where they are mm-hmm. and offer them a pathway and on-ramp a way to start making that journey in a way that works for them. So they can start making that change. I don't think we can expect everyone to just jump on this bandwagon in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so- yeah. So anyways, I've outlined yeah. five barriers in my newest mm-hmm. book about here's mm-hmm. all the things that can get in the way. And I, I hear you. I get it. You're not mm-hmm. crazy. Let's start wherever you are and let's see if we can't move the needle a little bit. Right. And I personally have an issue with conflict. I've been pretty conflict avoidance uh, avoidant my whole life. I mean, my old strategy for managing back in the day when I was managing people was you know, I would just ignore them until they quit. Right. right that sure. was my, that was my way to avoid actually having conflict. Right. <laughs> and hopefully like, someone more compliant who can read your mind better would come along. Right? But... Exactly. It was like, I'll just stop talking to them. I, and I did, I just mm-hmm. didn't know how to handle that. So Zeldin when you with say, his stapler. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're promoting you to a different yeah. area of the building, but when you say conflict to bring us closer, so you can actually use conflict to bring people closer. Let's dive yeah. into that a little bit. So help me understand yeah. that. Because I'm not clicking with that one yet. It's a tough one. Earlier, I, I shared that, you know, I believe that diversity and differences are part of the grand design of the universe. We are made to be different for a reason, because diversity drives innovation. It drives all kinds of cool stuff. Well, necessarily, then we're going to have conflict. That's an mm-hmm. inevitable outcome of diversity. In fact, it's probably the most important outcome of diversity is conflict. So there's this massive source of energy in the universe that is there because we're different. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a purpose for it. And one of my favorite mentors, Michael Mee, a long time ago, he said, you know, Nate, the purpose of conflict is to create. Interesting. The purpose, the purpose let's, let's say that again. The purpose for conflict is to create. Is to create. And so I heard that kind of out of context, but I was working on this kind of theory that diversity creates conflict. So conflict must have a purpose. So what, and you can use conflict negatively or positively. So negative conflict is drama. That's not what we're Mm -hmm. meant to do, even though we certainly can. Well, then Mm -hmm. what's the positive purpose? Well, creation, humans are creators. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, And and if you come from maybe uh, some faith traditions, you you might believe more spiritually that we Mm -hmm. are built in the image of the creator. So we're here to create. And we've been given this energy source, which is conflict. That's actually our source of energy for creation. The only question is, how the heck do we do that? Mm -hmm. And then comes in the last piece of the puzzle, which is compassion. That's how we've also been given that. That's the bright side of humanity is the need to be self-justified is our dark side, but the capacity for compassion is our saving grace. It's the antidote mm-hmm. because we have the desire, the inbuilt desire to affiliate and to struggle with each other. And so if we do that during conflict, then conflict creates and it creates amazing things. Intimacy, connection, 
you know, when you go through something tough with somebody and you mm -hmm. hash it out and you respect each other during mm -hmm. the process, you and and you hold on to each other's dignity and you care deeply and you don't get attached to any particular outcome, but instead you get attached to the best outcome. When that happens, it's amazing. It's mm -hmm. like a rush. And you and that person are like bonded. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what we see in our work. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of what 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 the process looks like. And then I guess, yeah, walk me through an example of that, I guess, just yeah. so we can make it literal. Yeah. Oh, let's take a situation where a colleague or a peer of mine has done something and I'm really bothered by it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it compromised our organizational values. Maybe we were, let's say we were at a trade show and one of my peers did or said something that was like, I thought was really inappropriate and maybe mm -hmm. compromised our integrity. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I could pop off and say something. I could hold it passive aggressively. I could do a lot of things, but I decide to have conflict. And mm -hmm. here's the thing. The conflict is the gap between what I want and what I experienced. This is not their problem. It's my problem. I'm owning this because I'm the one that has the gap. I'm the one feeling it. So maybe later in an appropriate time, I'm just like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I, I felt really embarrassed and anxious earlier when I saw this. So I'm disclosing my own anxiety. I'm not blaming them for it. I'm owning my feelings. Mm -hmm. And then I say, here's what, here's what happened. When I heard you say this, the story I told myself was that blah, blah, blah. And here's how it matches up to what we said we were going to do when we came to the trade show. So mm -hmm. I'm disclosing information. I'm not blaming. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying, here was my experience. Here's my interpretation. Here's what I told myself about it. But then there's a third part, which I, is I have to say why this matters. And then I say, the reason I'm talking to you is because we committed to this. And this goes against our highest value, which is this. And it's so important for me that our behavior in every moment reflects the mission, vision, and values of our organization. So now I've just said, here's why it matters. Here's what I'm aspiring to. I'm holding up mm -hmm. these principles and I'm asking them to step up. But then mm -hmm. I also have to bring it back to the human part and say, so how did you experience that situation? Mm, right, and, let, and allow them to have their... Yeah. Feed, so it also, give feedback, yeah. right? So here's what it sounds like. I'm really, I was really embarrassed and anxious earlier when this happened. Here's what I observed. Here's the story I told myself about it. Here's why it matters and why I care so much. How are you? Mm -hmm. That's the process we call ORPO, open, resourceful, persistent, open. And it's a template that flipping works mm -hmm. because it levels the playing field. It keeps all the switches on and it is both compassionate and accountable at the same time. Mm. Very interesting. And this is a practice, right? This is like a, I mean, this is um, too often. I think people want a quick fix. This is something you have to practice. You have to do. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a method. It's and a you, method, you, right? You can hack your way through it and get some pretty good results, or you can practice and get really, <laughs> right. really good at it and be able to de-escalate situations, be able to get your kids to do their homework, be able to apologize to your daughter without mm -hmm. losing face. I mean, you could do a lot of cool stuff with it. Resolve a dispute with your neighbor around barking dogs. <laughs> I'm just saying hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetically. Um, oh. Or confront a client about not paying their invoices on time. That's real conversations. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the key to that, or one of the keys I heard you say was kind of like, you know, allowing that person in, there's some vulnerable, you're expressing vulnerability, you're also expressing your thought process through yeah. that, and, yeah. and then how it, how you feel because of that thought process, and maybe any assumptions you're making, right? I had a customer service representative use it on me 
recently and i was so disarmed i had ordered this banner for a trade show and, uh -huh. and it was i was really excited to get it and we needed to get to the trade show it was kind of a rush order and when it came it just wasn't perfect right it, there were some mistakes i just didn't want to live with right and i was ang anxious because the trade show was in like 10 days oh gotcha and i and i didn't want to have the conflict of going back and being a complainer mm -hmm. right but the website said 100 percent satisfaction <laughs> right so I, I emailed and I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I feel bad right now. I opened it. I was so excited to see it. And I was just discouraged when I saw it because X, Y, Z. And I'm just curious, you know, it said this on your website. What's, what's the story? Mm -hmm. This lady wrote back and she said, oh my gosh, I can't imagine how discouraged you must have been. You were so looking forward to this trade show and you wanted it to be perfect. And it wasn't. I'm so sorry. Yes. This is what our policy says. And here's the process. In fact, I'm going to initiate a reorder right now and mm -hmm. I'm going to expedite it because we stand by our promises. And then she ended it by saying, how does this sound to you? Right. Wow. I was she, floored. Yeah. She like ninja'd you. That was yeah, like customer totally service ninja. ninja. Right, right. I was so impressed. I actually emailed her and said, wait, have you been trained <laughs> in how to de-escalate these situations? Because right. you're totally using my stuff. Right. And can I talk to your manager? Because I right. want to tell him how awesome you are. And right. she was like, yeah, actually, we're trained in this. Thank you so wow. much for noticing. Wow, wow. Um, and I asked, you know, permission to use that as an example in my training. Wow. Right. But I am so loyal now. I'm going to order right. all my banners from them. And yeah, right. maybe they were out a couple hundred bucks for a banner. But right. the way they handled that situation was perfect. Yeah. Had added integrity, honesty, oh. transparency, right? All the things. And understanding, yeah. Which is like, I, yeah, I use that. Oh, that, that customer service thing. I don't, I try not to engage in it much, but when I do, yes, it is a good learning tool, a trigger for me oh. to, to try to deescalate myself, yes. right? To try to regulate myself from like, yeah, losing it. <laughs> right. That's well, it's uh, hard. And it's really hard because, you know, every day we're frustrated. Every day, our stuff that we bought and that we're using somehow doesn't get us what we want. And then we get upset. Right. Right. And, right. You know, those poor customer service people on the other end, they're getting angry right. people every day. But can you imagine if their first line was first? Man, uh -huh. that sucks to be going through what you're going through yep. because you're trying to be productive today. And our piece mm -hmm. of equipment is not letting you do that. Right. Let's talk about what's going on. It's like, oh, you know, they understand the me. Yeah, they, yeah, they hear me. They care they about me. my my emotional experience. They're treating me as a valuable human being, right. instead of treating you like you're stupid or you didn't read the <laughs> manual or has it plugged in. Right, right, exactly. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little different angle here um, as we kind of wind up our our time with each other today. I'm just gonna go global and kind of higher high level here. If you had one piece of uh, wisdom to share with you know, the eight, now there's 8 billion people, right? On the face of the yeah. earth. Yes. Um, let's say, let's just assume they all understood English for today. If there was one piece of wisdom that you could share with all 8 billion people, um, and that was the only message you were ever going to be able to impart to them all, what would that message be? I would say that never before in our history as a human race has the need for compassion and accountability been greater. Mm -hmm. Everything depends on it. Our political stability, our energy supply, our safety, our health, it depends on both in full measure. And these are not opposites. They were never meant to be. 
Compassion was never meant to be in tension with accountability. You can't have one without the other. So I think the sooner we embrace that and get rid of old assumptions, the further we can move to the other side and start living a life that is so much fuller uh, than, than, than we ever imagined and solve the biggest problems. Compassion goes a long way in this world, right? Yeah. That was, you know, when we look at, uh, yeah, when we, when we look at biblical stuff, right? Compassion, love is at the base yeah. of all, right? Love yeah. covers all. Love and compassion are kind of uh, twins or cousins or whatever you want to call it there, right? And it's not anything goes love. It's not here, let me fix it for you, love. Right. It's not right. leaving. It's not, it's love with also honoring the capability and the responsibility of human beings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The one we're visiting with. Love it, love it. Um, how do people find out more about your work? What, what website? Making can we... it really easy. Um, uh, CompassionateAccountabilityBook.com. Mm -hmm. It's my there newest book, and you can mm -hmm. find you can go start over there and go everywhere. It's a great place to start. CompassionateAccountabilityBook.com. Perfect. You can go there and find out more about the book, and I'm sure it links over to you guys' yeah. main website or something like that. Everything so. else we've talked about, you'll be able to find there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We appreciate it and love having you on. And it's always an interesting uh, conversation. I, I always learn. I feel like hopefully every all of our listeners are learning, but I definitely always learn from all of our conversations. So thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate your curiosity and your openness. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>